excited about it madness everywhere can you my favorite part of the whole thing is crying kid (laughs) that is my favorite part of the tournament poor kid because i could just imagine if one of mine if if we went all the way to the tournament and my little jack and my little sam were all revved up about it and then they got there and they lost a heartbreaker like one of my kids could be cincinnati kid or tennessee kid or virginia kid and, and I don't understand the deal. Like, I've got a buddy who's in the business. Right. He's running audio at mm-hmm. these big sporting events. But yeah. I wonder, is there like an inner office pool at which cameraman can get the most kids crying? And they're like playing bingo, trying to, trying to win the inner office pool with crying kid bingo? <laughs> Maybe. It, My but, roommate is actually going to the game in Boston this weekend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, She's really excited. With Texas Tech in, and the Aggies are, Texas A&M Aggies are in, Kansas State, Kansas, it's like 40% of the Big 12 is in the Sweet 16, and it's fantastic. But Crying Kid is, that is the equivalent of getting that last scoop of ice cream, uh, that Bluebell cookies and cream and in that last scoop that you put in your mouth there's the whole oreo cookie you didn't just get a quarter of it you got the whole thing it's just so great poor kids and that's march madness welcome into the program other side of texas sitting here with little sister lauren huff across the way producing the show making things happen we are broadcasting from the west texas accessory depot studios go see the folks at accessory depot on 82nd and valencia and lubbock other side listeners can get a free row of WeatherTech liners with the purchase of a bed cover and that's whether you're in lubbock or online Free World Weather Tech Liners with the purchase of a bed cover. 806-866-9494. WTAccessoryDepot.com. Lots to get into in this edition of Other Side of Texas. The bombings in Austin. We'll bring that up with Scott Braddock, editor of the Quorum Report, along with some other Texas politics coming up in a... About half an hour from now, Donald Trump on opioids and what he plans to do about the opioid epidemic. We'll get into some of that as well with our friend Brandon Darby, who's expected to walk in to this very program anytime now. My my whim, though I got really, really congested this weekend and got that so congested in my, my lungs that I got the sweats, mm. got the fever. Oh, it's rough. <laughs> I got, a, I got a lot of that Mucinex D, that heavy yeah. dosage D Mm-mm. in me right now. Where I want to start today, though, is it just occurred to me. I, I like to talk about state politics, but I like to talk about politics. And one thing that's important to me in politics is that we need to always remember with how polarized things, how magnetized the polls are, that we're having discussions with people, with actual people. Mm-hmm. People who were made in the image of God. Now, I don't know what conception of God you want to go off of. It's, it's voiced in the Declaration of Independence Constitution. That can be a Calvinist God, mm-hmm. a Jeffersonian God. It could be a Lockean God. They're all within a Christian to deist origin of God. And in each endeavor, we are made in the image of God. A God who has will and imagination 
and reason and emotion. And we're all given those things, regardless of where we are on the political spectrum, wherever you are, made in the image of God. Now, pause on that for just a second. That, that is the American touchstone. Yeah. Made in the image of God. Because we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with unenable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their power, their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, Paul Harvey in 1964 wrote a column, If I Were the Devil. And that column went like this. If I were the Prince of Darkness... I would want to engulf the whole earth in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So I should set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I would begin with a campaign of whispers, with a wisdom of a serpent. I would begin to whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. And it it goes forward. Right. The loosening of culture. Now, if, forget if I were the devil, and we welcome Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart, Texas, in here. Uh, Forget if I were the devil, Mm -hmm. how would I ruin America? If I were Russia, how would I ruin America? And you know what I would do? I would employ a campaign, an online social media campaign, to interfere with elections on both sides. I would put out Hillary bots, I would put out Trump bots, and I would have, I have just one example here. Here's an example that multiple Russian bots tweeted out on March 13th of this year. Trump literally triggers liberals 20 times a day, and each time they take the bait. Trump has forced the psycho out of each and every leftist. You all are unstable. Now, there are, there are exa- examples of these bots from both sides. But you know what it does? It dehumanizes the debate. It says, you are not fit to be in this discussion. You are subhuman. You're less than human. You're other than human. And whenever that enters into a political fray, mm-hmm. whenever we begin justifying three-fifths of a political person, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whenever we get into those discussions... Then we're in real trouble. We were endowed by a creator with unalienable rights. We we lose that touchstone that is that is the touchstone of American civilization and American democracy. Now, Brandon Darby, you I think have caught a lot of people's attention of late because you have called out this sort of name calling in politics and said you know, this is where grassroots, for example, when grassroots take these tacks, then they begin to lose their force. Talk about what changed in you or what triggered in you to really begin to push the brake on name-calling, dehumanizing, and political discussion. Well, I mean, I'm, let's just be clear, I'm a, a Breitbart editor, you know, and Breitbart fights, and that's what we've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, traditionally we fight political fights, and uh, when you fight political fights, you you fight political fights, and it's it's a uh, there's always a an element of um, there's always an element of of advocating for your side, you know, 
when you do that. I think in my situation, <clears throat> I kind of had a unique deal because I, I started covering the border for Breitbart, and then that took off. And then I started a project in Mexico called Cartel Chronicles. And it became really important for that project because most of the people who work with us there, you know, they're risking their lives. They're heroes, I think. Um, but most of them don't agree with Breitbart politically, you know. And so I realized that in order to do justice for these people, uh, it would really need to be a non-political project, you know. Um, obviously, there's some benefit to the right uh, when you cover violence on the border. Like, people on the right are going to pr promote those stories because it it promotes a right of center narrative for border security. But uh, when you talk about the realities in life <coughs> for people, lives, the lives of people in Mexico, um, it also promotes a left of center narrative for asylum and, you know, it un helps people understand why people leave in the first place, what they're getting away from, why they're willing to give up their communities and their lives and come. So, <coughs> uh, you know, there was just a greater calling, you know, like when you, when you put your eyes on something like that, on a, an entire populace of people, millions of people who mainstream media ignore, um, who have no voice, who get murdered when they speak out, uh, the, the everyday politics just starts to seem a little meaningless, you know? The everyday political squabbles. I mean, there's bigger issues and there's big policy debates that matter, and but the, the everyday stuff, it starts yeah. to seem kind of shallow. And when you face your own mortality like that and go into a dangerous situation and you do it frequently and you, you're dealing with people who are really facing their own mortality in a way that, a sustained manner, um, <clears throat> you know, you just being sincere and being serious uh, it it means a lot more to you when you're in that situation. Yeah, would you agree though that whenever political discussions stop being discussions between people and they start being discussions between things, that that the foundation, the bedrock of democracy, can begin to break down because then we can be t people say terrible, awful things to you on Twitter all the time. Every once in a while, I get a blow, but. Uh, but they would say things that, A, they wouldn't say in person, B, because there's there's this conception that maybe they aren't discussing with the real person. Well, I, I think, you know, this is one of those things I think, um, you know, and, and it's easy for me to get political. Like, I, I can get really mad about when I listen to people talk about the gun debate, for instance, you know. I'm very pro-Second Amendment, um, and I can get very polemic on that, you know. Um, I understand it. Like I, I've been there before. It's not a judgmental thing where I'm saying like, "Hey, people being <clears throat> polemic or advocating for one side or the other are you know somehow less than me because I I, I can engage in that same thing, right?" Mm -hmm. But the, you know the the real issue is this: at some point, you have to acknowledge when you're in a position, you have a platform, and a lot of people read what you write and hear what you say. You have to acknowledge that. You have to realize that. The average person, you know, they, they work all day, they get home, they have how many hours before they have to go to bed to do their kids' homework with them, to work, help with their kids, do their kids' toenails, do their toenails, make dinner, wash the car out, do their laundry. They don't have a lot of time. And when they believe in you and they're looking to you, when they're looking to you uh, to see what's going on in the world, you're, you're in the role of a teacher to them, in a way, you know, as a journalist. And if you prioritize or make a big deal out of something that really isn't a big deal, 
what you're doing is you're telling those people, like, hey, you're convincing them, almost like a money gospel part. You're convincing them that they need to take that limited time they have with their loved ones and they need to devote it to this cause. You know, and instead of doing their kids' homework, maybe they should just do that for five minutes and get online and read this and write that or call this person or go to this organization on Saturday, go to this event to protest X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> so if you abuse that and you manipulate them by drumming up a bunch of political BS, which is what we're talking about, you're actually robbing all the people who believe in you of their time with their family and their lives. Yeah. And when you start to look at it that way, it becomes, you know, you start to get really concerned with making sure you're telling the whole story and giving people accurate information. Yeah. And that's something I, I think that people politically lose sight of. I think they get so caught up, uh, especially some of the people who make their money organizing, right? They make their money from being caught up. And they get so caught up politically that they, they start to dehumanize. And historically, we can go back through time and go, okay, when, we have, when we're talking about policies that affect human beings, especially if the policy is about human beings, and you, you start to dehumanize or you start to use language that disassociates that, per, that person's humanity from the policy or from the discussion, uh, that has worked out really badly in the past. hundred percent. Brandon Darby here with us. You know, you talk about polemic, and we'll go to break here in a couple of minutes, little sister, but I can be polemical too on several different and i'm i'm really working on ratcheting that down a little bit but i just remember being raised in west texas and then going and living in kentucky for a couple of years and going into west virginia now whenever i grew up unions were the most terrible god-awful anti-capitalist thing that anybody ever thought of and anybody who was for unions was also for the godless and the most un-American and anti-capital ideas. Well, that was my attitude walking in to that part of the country. And then going into West Virginia and seeing mining camps, and pretty soon you become familiar with the idea that, you know what, maybe people who are for unions, maybe this firefighter who's risked his life every day, multiple times a day sometimes, especially whenever the panhandle's on fire. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a reason why, if we go back to will and imagination, reason and emotion, maybe there's a reason why they believed that. And maybe we should have a discussion rather than just dismiss it as godless and anti-American. Uh, you know, I think that's true. Well, with, let me, let me make, yeah. just say one more thing. I'm from a part of the country that was literally the last inhabited place it was the last place to be settled because we had to get rid of the comanches and that's a whole other conversation but so it was by the time the industrial revolution had come and gone well west texas was just getting settled that's my point so go ahead i understand i think with most issues and this is something i say all the time i have a lot of obviously people's uh consultants call me and their campaign managers and their comms directors and they get mad at me and they're like what are you saying here going against vouchers and supporting public education and, and I'm like look <clears throat> I'm not really engaging in the argument what I'm engaging in is the way the argument I'm, I'm debating I want to argue about the way the arguments happening right mm -hmm. there are legitimate reasons why there are people mad at public schools there are legitimate reasons why people want to homeschool there are legitimate reasons why people feel like 
you know, they give a lot of tax dollars to some school districts and don't get a lot back. There are also legitimate reasons why people support public schools, and there are also legitimate reasons, um, uh, not only for reasons of e economics, but, but for reasons of, of, of preserving place and community, why people support public schools. There are good conservative arguments against public schools, and there are good conservative arguments for public schools. Um, the problem is, is that that's not the conversation that, that's happening. The conversation is, is you either hate children and are against public schools, or you're for public schools and you're a prairie socialist and you're just a communist, a godless communist, because you support public schools. No. And that's the problem that I have. The problem is, is there's actually a discussion that needs to be had, and it's not one that needs to be had. It's one that needs to happen every day and needs to keep happening forever, probably in per perpetuity, uh, about this issue. And, and so when people engage in the bullcrap about it um you know we saw that about the border too we saw that in the, the mailers that came out um in this last primary session where i live I, I got mailers about ken king and the border that i did not think were honest and um, i called it out just like i did in the last primary session when that same issue that was presented dishonestly uh or hyperbolically um and that's what I'm getting at, is, is there are discussions to be had. We're a serious people who need to have serious discussions, and the name-calling actually prevents the discussions from occurring. So let me close out the segment, and we'll go to break here and uh, get right back in. But if I were the Russians, what I would want to do is make these conversations even more hyperbolic than they are. Because, believe you me, the Russians, people say, well, the Russians, the communists don't have a God. They do have a God, and it's the dialectic of history they believe that they have been made over time and go read about the history of communism and its rise in, in russia they believe that they are the perfection of history and there's one thing that stands in their way and it's another manifest destiny and it's the american uh, people hold on little sister and and brother I'm going to be real, you were making a really good point, and then you went and got so off into like intellectual land that's probably very, it almost confused me here Here's the deal. Russia is obviously trying to stir up crap and create division. They're trying to stir so up the left have the discussions and stir up the right so so we can't have discussions because it's detrimental to our country and to our structure uh, to our society that uh, if we don't have those discussions and they don't want us to. So I, is that what you were saying, my friend? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. With that, we should go to break. With that, we'll, we'll go to break. We'll get back in with uh we'll have a little more on this discussion should facebook and twitter be regulated should they be we'll talk about that he's wrinkled and gray but he still got the fire and he sings Welcome back in. This segment's brought to you by Racer Car Wash, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. And if you live in Lubbock right now, you need your car wash. Stop in to one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed. Racerwash.com. Hey, so we just were talking about Russian interference. And I think the case can be made both sides. And what the motivation would be for Russian interference in elections. But so far as running a show called Other Side of Texas, I think it's really important that we understand to keep the foundation of personhood involved in these discussions. That's just what to this week's monologue was about. But to that point, 
Is it time, Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas, to regulate Facebook and Twitter as public utilities? Have they reached the point where they are as critical as telephones in communication in modern America? Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> About two minutes? Yeah, we'll carry minutes. it over after Brad. That's <clears throat> what I think. I think when it came to uh, you know private invention of, of uh, electricity, private invention of the telephone, at some point they became so necessary and such an integral part of society and of our, our, of our lives that too much power was in the hands of too few people. And, um, and it became necessary to regulate the telephone line, you know, the telephones. It became necessary. You never hear people go, I don't like that guy's views. Why, is the, why doesn't the electric company turn his power off, right? You never hear that. We're at a point where Facebook and Twitter has become so important to our lives, like certain social media app outlets, uh, possibly even Google, has become so, like right, what they're doing right now is things that their executives don't like, they're just shutting out, turning off, making it, like that level of control, I, I think it's become, um, they're abusing their power, mm-hmm. and I think that they're too necessary for our lives, and I think it's become necessary to regulate yeah, them. Yeah, just take them off the algorithm. I think it's become necessary to regulate them. Give them the area code that nobody knows. <clears throat> but that's what they're doing. Yep. And, and, and um, they're doing that to conservatives. And I think that it, it is a, at a point where they're just too necessary. You know, that's too much control. You have a few people in Silicon Valley deciding what people can read, what people can't read. There has to be, they've become too necessary in society, too much of a part. So I, I, I'm in favor of that. Most people on the right yell at me and say it's not okay, but... I don't really care. That's what I think. We'll pick that back up here in a few minutes. But something that I do think is necessary is Leonard T. Jenkins. How you doing, buddy? You're dang right. It's necessary, Jay. How you doing? You are. You are a necessary designated cotton stripper. How's it going this uh, week? It's going pretty good. Enjoyed my spring break. Went down to Lomita, Texas, down in the hill country. Mm-hmm. Where I always enjoy the chicken fried steak at the Wagon Wheel restaurant. Uh, but I've enjoyed listening to you and uh, Brandon Darby talk today. You know, at the top of your show, Jay, you started talking about being so congested that you got to sweat. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You know what'll fix all that, and pretty much most <laughs> of. Uh, your problems and America's problems. I'm ready. Go, go, bond medicated powder. Just inhale it. I'm, I'm telling you, put it anywhere, and it'll just soothe and relieve and make everything a okay. So they you, don't pay you'll you to be the straight that. line gold bond. Well, Those you do with it what you will. Man, you started talking about you were preaching there for a second before uh, Brandon got on the air talking about the Calvinist God and the Jeffersonian God, and did I hear you say the lock-in God? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As in a church lock-in <laughs> with a bunch of kids? No, no. Because I, I tell you, I've been to one of them things once. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I got, oh, got, oh got, the church lock-in. Okay. I thought I thought you said a lock-in God. <laughs> And I would rather have a sawdust. I mean, a John Locke perception of God, but we can talk about lock-ins if you want to. I tell, I went to one of them one time, and I'd I'd rather have a sawdust enema than have to go back to a church lock-in with a bunch of kids. (laughs) Those oftentimes go wrong. I spent a month there one night. It was terrible. (laughs) 
You also started talking about how uh, I, I thought you mentioned that Paul Harvey was the Prince of Darkness, and I, no. I, I, the radio cut out on me. I don't yeah. think that's the case. But you started talking about how you would ruin America. You talked about Hillary bots and Trump bots. I tell you this right now: if I wanted to ruin America, I'd do it one of two ways, Jay. Oh, what's that, Leonard? I would introduce scratch and sniff postage stamps uh, in, into the into the world. Okay. Scratch and sniff postage stamps. Like, you know, this, this month's stamp smells like a dog's rump. Or this month's stamp smells like my armpit. So you would just shut down the mail service. Did he just admit that his armpit smelled like a dog's rump? He did. No, those are two different smells, Brandon. <laughs> and the other way I might try to ruin America, I would, I would pave every road in America with lard. And, I mean, that would ruin it real quick, wouldn't it, Jay? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, pe- people couldn't drive. Okay. How would they get around? Yeah, you'd just shut down the, the transportation, and then you'd shut down the mail service, and then we'd be that's just That's just what I'd do. My okay. daddy used to yeah. say, ask not what your country can do for you, but how you can make a giant leap for mankind. And if I was wanting to ruin <laughs> this place, I would put lard on every street in America. Brother T, you're a much better designated cotton stripper than you are a terrorist. I know it. I got too much kindness in my heart, I reckon. Yeah. I just I just like people too much. Is it ever going to rain again, Leonard T? Yeah, it will. Okay. Tuesday next. Okay. You're calling it. Yeah. Right it's now. It's 3.30. 3.30 p.m. Okay. Yeah, it sure will. Next and Tuesday I, I think at 3.30. You and I, need, I think you and I need to get back to work on um, the Chris Beard Boulevard um, transformation of 34th Street. I mean, how fun is that it's, with those red rates? It's going to happen. Hey, we're going to bounce out, Leonard T. Thanks for chiming in, buddy. Of course. And, uh, Brandon, it was good hearing from you. And as always, Jay, peace to the Middle East, my friend. You got it, my friend. We're going to go to a quick break. Get Scott Pratt in here. He's going to pave the roads with lard, Leonard T. Oh, man. Stick with us right here on the other side of Texas. The gas is high. And I don't like the way the stocks are down. When you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's The Other Side of Texas with Jay Leeson. I took a double take out on the interstate when I saw her making eyes at me. Hey there, this segment's brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Joining us now, editor of the Quorum Report, his weekly segment here braddock on texas how are you scott braddock doing well sir how are you where are you calling from i'm calling from the and i know you're going to probably correct me i'm calling from the comptroller's office it's not me that would correct you it's bob bullock <laughs> well he, he's not here anymore mm. you might have noticed you, hey you might have noticed things are a little different since he was around i don't know I, i'm i'm people do the elvis thing is Elvis dead? I wonder if Bob Bullock's really dead. <laughs> You're right. Well, uh, lots of things to get into, but yes, Braddock, let's just go straight to 
it, other side of Texas, we don't talk a lot about Austin, but we need to talk about Austin. Mm-hmm. Tell us the latest on these bombings. A fourth explosion in less than three weeks here in Austin. Uh, the city is on edge. You have communities that are uh, mainly minority communities, especially uh, Hispanic and African uh, American communities that are on edge about this. Uh, this had happened uh, previously only in uh, East Austin, and now it's happened in Southwest Austin as well. Um, a bomber who uh, may well be uh, the kind of madman that you find in the movies, really. I mean, we're talking about uh, bombs that have been left uh, as packages on the doorsteps of folks in certain neighborhoods, and then the bomb that uh, went off yesterday, uh, which included uh, nails as shrapnel that went into a young man's leg. Uh, that was uh, set off by a tripwire along a street. Uh, and so the investigators are telling us that uh, this requires a certain level of sophistication they had not seen yet, but uh, it does look like all of these are potentially connected uh, at this point. Here's what the uh, Austin Police Chief Brian Manley said uh, just today. We are clearly dealing with a serial bomber. Uh, he said, quote, we will have to determine if we see a specific ideology behind this. Uh, right now they're just trying to figure out who's doing this um, and uh, how quickly they can stop it. So you... I didn't realize this, that it's just been in particular parts of the city and potentially, probably aimed at minority communities. Looks that way, um, uh, and uh, you know this had happened uh, in areas that are predominantly African American uh, at first uh, in the city uh, over the last couple of weeks. The uh, bombing that happened uh, just last night. Uh, rocked an area that uh, is uh, not uh, predominantly uh, a minority community uh, and so seems to be the outlier so far. And also, uh, this was a little bit different kind of bomb. Listening to some of the uh, folks that uh, have been investigating these things over the years, they say that uh, these things do appear to be the same uh, kind of uh, bomb that's going off, uh, but done in a little bit different way. As I said, you know, the first ones uh, were just packages showing up on people's doorsteps. Uh, this one that happened last night uh, set off by a tripwire as uh, two young men were walking along the street in southwest Austin. Uh, and, uh, yeah, one uh, guy ended up with a nail, uh, a bunch of nails in his leg uh, taken to the hospital. Uh, and uh, we have uh, ATF, FBI, Austin Police Department, Texas Department of Public Safety, etc., trying to figure out who is behind this and why they are behind this. Uh, I was reading yesterday about uh, the kind of person that does this sort of thing, the kind of profile uh, that a person who does this, uh, you know, maybe has. Uh, people who act out of anger, uh, typically people who uh, are bombing um, uh, various, uh, you know, victims uh, over the years. I mean, you look back at uh, what happened with Eric Rudolph, uh, the bomber at uh, the uh, Olympics uh, back during the 90s, uh, and the Unabomber. These are people who acted out of anger, and they're trying to figure out who may be doing this. And the police here are basically pleading for anybody who sees anything to come forward, uh, let them uh, know exactly what they're seeing out there in the community. Uh, and at last check, uh, the uh, reward um, the reward amount uh, was up to over $100,000 uh, for information leading to whoever is doing this. Yeah, it's Scott Braddock of the Quorum Report joining us at Scott Braddock on Twitter. Scott, I want to ask you, well, I see in the headlines that Governor Abbott just now this is mm-hmm. being broadcast on a Monday. $265,000. Abbott's pulling yeah. out of the state's emergency fund so mm-hmm. that Austin Police Department and Texas Ranger bomb response team can buy seven portable x-ray systems. So good on the governor. 
Well, that's good on him. Um, what may not be good on him, and uh, I am going to go there this afternoon, uh, we have uh, people in this community who are scared to death of the police. I have been talking to people uh, ever since uh, Senate Bill 4, the Sanctuary Cities ban, was passed. Uh, and uh, this is an area that has a huge immigrant uh, community, uh, just like Houston. Austin has a lot of folks here who are not documented uh, and people who may be afraid to come forward and tell what they know uh, to the police. I've been talking with construction, uh, construction executives in Houston, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, and all over since that was passed. And you've got people who are not showing up for work. And right now, uh, you have uh, minority communities being targeted uh, by someone who is, uh, you know, most likely just a madman. Uh, and the police asking for anybody who sees something to come forward and say something. Um, and right now, we have a lot of people uh, in these communities who are afraid to speak to the police because they think they're going to be rounded up uh, and sent to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So that is absolutely not helpful, uh, the bill that the uh, governor passed uh, you know, at his behest the Texas legislature passed a sanctuary cities ban, uh, which is really uh, proven uh, to create a wall between uh, people who are in a lot of these neighborhoods and uh, the people who are trying to keep them safe. A couple of weeks removed from the election, switch gears for just a second. Mike Cannon, a candidate for Senate District 31 that mm -hmm. goes into the panhandle, for people who aren't familiar, takes in a huge swath of the panhandle, goes down one county deep on the New Mexico line, and then takes in the basin. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Senator Kel Silger won that re-election, but only did so by some, gosh, what was it, 636 votes or so. Mike Cannon appealed to the Republican Party of Texas for a recount. Tell mm -hmm. us how that went. Well, uh, Mike Cannon uh, did ask uh, the RPT, the Republican Party of Texas, to uh, do a recount across all of the counties. I think there are 37 counties in that district. Uh, by the way, that district is about the size of Indiana, geographically, uh, and you're talking about a lot of small counties, which, uh, you know, in a lot of those counties, they don't even have uh, full-time election staff, so to do uh, a recount in those counties, they would have to pull people out of different um, departments and have them come over and... Yeah. Uh, and just to jump yeah, in, Loving County had 28 people vote in the Republican. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Um, so, uh, look, uh, we're talking about um, a race in which uh, Cannon uh, lost by about 15,000 votes. I've seen some people say that that's not what matters. What matters is uh, the fact that uh, Senator Cal Seliger uh, was able to uh, avoid a runoff uh, by several hundred votes. Uh, and if a recount were to show that he should not have avoided the runoff, then they should go on and have a runoff. Um, but we've seen these runoffs and uh, we've seen these uh, recounts in the past not move the needle at all. I, over the last, uh, you know, uh, just several cycles, uh, have seen where various candidates have lost by uh, 222 votes or 300 votes or 600 votes. And those candidates uh, did not ask for runoffs. They simply uh, gracefully uh, bowed out. Uh, so this would be at huge cost to these small counties like Loving County and some of those other counties uh, out in that area uh, that would have to uh, shell out quite a bit of money yeah. uh, to do this uh, when the great likelihood is that the, um, the outcome would not be any different uh, and that uh, Senator Seliger would still be the Republican nominee, and of course that would mean that he would still be the Republican senator for the area. Yeah, and that, we should add there that Victor Leal was also involved in that race, but mm -hmm. Cannon came in second, and he won by yes, how sir. many votes? Seliger won by how many over Cannon? 
Uh, he uh, he got uh, more than fifteen thousand votes yeah. more than Cannon, uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Leal, uh, as you mentioned, was third. Uh, the whole point being that uh, if there was going to be a runoff, uh, then it would be Cannon and uh, Seliger, and uh, Cannon would like to see that. Uh, but uh, there's still no guarantee that uh, Cannon would win in a runoff. Uh, but look, Cannon has the backing of Empower Texans, Boss Dunn's group, and uh, they never, uh, ever um, uh, avoid a chance to uh, spend as much money as they can, um, you know, even, even if there's no point to it. Let's keep it fair to Midland with mm-hmm. Boss Dunn there, with Scott Braddock here. Sure. You see what I did there, fair to Midland? Oh, in, wow. In Midland, you were in Midland last week. Give us a yes, little sir. orientation as to what the trial was about and what the ruling was. Well, the uh, group that we just mentioned, Empower Texans, was uh, using a, and this is the height of irony, they were using a DBA, a doing business as uh, an assumed name, uh, Texas Ethics Disclosure Board. Just the shot of irony everybody needs. This is a group that's been fighting with the Texas Ethics Commission uh, for years for being alleged scoff laws of Texas ethics law. Um, They used that name uh, on a mailer in Fort Worth uh, against uh, Chairman Charlie Guerin uh, because they said that he had uh, some improper... Uh, relationship with a lobbyist. Of course, that lobbyist is his wife, uh, and he doesn't shy away from that. Um, well, uh, the guy that they were uh, supporting, uh, Beau French, uh, lost to Guerin uh, by double digits, uh, and so, uh, of course, they filed suit to try to keep the local prosecutors in Tarrant, Travis and Midland counties uh, from being able to even look into whether they had broken the law. The possible law that they might have broken uh, would be a felony, uh, a uh, felony that says you're not allowed to, uh, in this state, you're not allowed to impersonate a government agency or entity. Uh, But since no prosecutor has even threatened to prosecute them on that, uh, the federal judge in Midland said that it would be improper for him to tell local prosecutors that they can't even look into it. Are you able to follow all that? Uh, the, yeah. the bottom line is they were trying to keep uh, local law enforcement from even looking into whether they may have broken the law. Oh. The federal judge in Midland said, well, it's not my place to do that. And so it may be that the district attorney's office in Travis County, which has said this is under review, it may be that they eventually, at some point, take it to a grand jury. We'll just all have to stay tuned and see. But, Scott Braddock, there are politicians that impersonate lawmakers all the time. That see, is... See what I did there? Yeah, it is uh, a good point, Jay Leeson. <laughs> he is <laughs> at Scott Braddock on Twitter. Scott Braddock, thank you so much. Check out Scott's stuff at quorumreport.com. Have a great week, buddy. You too. Thank you all. We're going to go to quick break. Come back in, get into some more of it with our friend Brandon Darby coming right up. Stick with us, other side of Texas. Hey, welcome back in, other side of Texas. That. There we go. Oh. Here we are. Brandon Darby with us here in studio. What to, I didn't realize, I'm not very, I've been to Austin a few times, but I don't know the layout. You know, you've lived in Austin. I didn't realize that these bombings follow up with Scott Braddock's segment there. I didn't realize that these were happening in minority communities. Or are they? 
Well, here's the deal. So last night we had a story we were about to publish that concerns, uh, you know, communities concerned African Americans being targeted by bomb bombings, right? And um, we're about to publish it, and then two white guys got blown up in a predominantly white neighborhood, you know. So it's kind of a, a, a to say like it's targeting minorities. Uh, would be a at this point not necessarily an accurate thing to say it could be possible that someone's doing hate crimes and they also chose to blow up white people um, it's possible but it's just as possible that it isn't we don't know that I think that um, <clears throat> at this point we don't know the motivations you know it could be a million different things um, apparently law enforcement doesn't know the motivations are they uh, they wouldn't be offering more and more money and asking the public for help, okay. right? So you just you may disagree with the premise. What I think is, I think that I think that it's. I was starting to look at that and be concerned about that. It, it's still possible that it it's um, it's somebody who is targeting people for race, but you know I don't. Again, it it the bombings happened um, in areas I think it's fair to say were used to be predominantly Hispanic or black. At this point, there's probably just as many white people living in those areas. Um, maybe they're targeting specific people. Maybe they're not. Uh, I don't know, and no one else does either. I think, whether it be the right or the left, I think as much as it <clears throat> you know, can be beneficial to political narratives uh, to try to assign motive at this point, I think the same thing I think when there's a, a act of Islamic terrorism, right? Like, just wait and see what the motivations were before we start calling it this and using it for political gain. You know, I don't, I don't think this has much to do with 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 uh, sanctuary cities bill. Like, I don't, I don't think this is the case. Um, and I, I just think before we start getting political with it and using it in our political arguments, our longstanding ones, I think we just need to wait and get more information because. I dang sure don't know who's doing it, and and if the FBI, you know, they said yesterday that 500 federal agents are working on it. Um, I, I'd imagine if they don't know who did it, I don't either, right? Okay, well, let's switch gears out of that and go into some news today. Donald Trump making a major speech on opioids, what he plans to do about it. Quote, we will raise a drug-free generation of American children, the president said. This scourge, this, quote, scourge, of drug addiction in America will stop. It will stop. And he goes on. I've got some more quotes to, to read in there. Trump standing up very strongly, making a stand that affects our parts of Texas for sure. Well, 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 what else did he say, though? What else did he say? Well, he said he wants this problem eradicated in the next seven years before he leaves office. Uh, Trump on fentanyl. I told China, don't send it. And I told Mexico, don't send it. I don't want to leave at the end of seven years and have this problem. Trump said a lot of voters are in this room and they feel the same way. Did he say that he was going to build the wall and the wall was going to stop the drug flow? I don't see that quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, here's the deal. Most of the drugs that come across the border come across at ports of entry. They do not come across between ports of entry where the wall would be. Building the wall, um, I'm in favor. I'm in favor. Um, I've been an advocate for many years, long before Trump was, of having physical barriers in some areas uh, where they're needed, where the agents think they're needed. But we can't fool ourselves and think that that's going to have any uh, impact on narcotics because it isn't. 
um, years ago we built a wall in the El Paso sector, the proverbial wall, right, a tiered fencing system with a bollard fencing and what have you. And when we did that, did it slow down the flow of narcotics from the Juarez cartel? No, it did not. What they did was they immediately turned to public corruption and they started loading rail cars, loading trucks, loading people, uh, paying off CBP officers, people at the border, paying off some Border Patrol agents. We've had a problem with that as well with Border Patrol agents. Some agents, obviously the vast majority of the 20-something thousand agents are, I think, heroes, uh, taking chances, risking their lives, and they could be doing other stuff, but instead they're doing that and they're keeping us safe. But there have been problems with public corruption and, and border law enforcement because of the sheer money uh, involved, the amounts of money. Um, <clears throat> so when, when we build physical barriers, it's not going to have much of an impact on, on opioids. It's not going to have much of an impact on methamphetamine or cocaine. Um, uh, most of that stuff comes through ports of entry. Okay. So, um, so, so it, it, the, the reality is, is we're, we're not going to get rid of our drug problem. Um, we have a drug problem because we live in a world where people are hurt and people are fallen and people have are disappointed and whatever other stuff goes on. Maybe you buy the disease model of addiction and I don't know. Um, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But we live in a world where people have addiction problems. And so what I see right now is I see a bunch of U.S. law enforcement officers risking their butts, getting their rear end shot off and risking getting the rear end shot off to fight this drug war. And if, as our coverage recently on Breitbart, Texas has shown, um, the State Department in Mexico largely controls how hard U.S. agencies go after drug lords. And they're pretty soft on drug lords for diplomatic reasons. So what we have is we have all of our law enforcement agents and officers risking their butts. We have our communities getting torn apart to get these low-level drug dealers. But when it comes to the real kingpins in Mexico, our government really leaves them alone and doesn't go after them. So... Um, you know, could we really fight this drug war? Could we do better? We we could, but we'd have to stop putting diplomacy above law enforcement priorities in Mexico. So, one thing, a wall, you say won't work, but we've already tried. So I'm going to read. I didn't say it won't work. I said it won't work when it comes to narcotics. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Trump calls for great commercials, quote unquote, great commercials during the right shows that demonstrate to children how bad drugs are. And here's the quote, and we'll make them very, very bad commercials, unsavory situations. Now, I grew up in the 80s. I remember the Nancy Reagan war on drugs with the the frying pan, the skillet coming to a simmer and then dropping the eggs in. Here's your brain. Here's your brains on drugs. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to stomp out opioids by flooding Sesame Street with uh, modern day, I mean, now I saw last week there's a woman who was on meth and pulled her eyeballs out. Like, we're going to put her on Sesame Street. Hey, kids, I can't see you, but you can see me. Don't do drugs. Well, here, here, the bottom line is people people do drugs, and um, people are probably going to keep doing drugs. We can keep, you know, we can, like I said, we can keep losing law enforcement officers and losing communities, losing people in our families or in families we know. Um, Cops can keep getting, you know, the butt shot off on it. Uh, but, but the bottom, the bottom line, is that on a on the higher levels, and I can get specific about it if you want to. But our government really does, and you need to understand what I mean by this. They put diplomatic priorities ahead of law enforcement concerns in Mexico, and what that means is that occasionally they bust a drug lord, but for the most part, they turn a blind eye to the drug lords. Um, because uh, diplomatically it would it would hurt because a lot of Mexico's politicians are connected to those drug lords. Um, 
and that's just a fact. Uh, so uh, there are things we could do to limit limit the amount of drugs coming into the United States. What we do on the border is not going to have as much to do with that as um, is actually going after uh, transnational criminal organizations in Mexico. Um, we, we could limit the supply by going after them, um, which would then cause the cost of drugs to go up, which would then cause more people to hit their bottoms or cause them to commit associated crimes and, uh, and possibly, you know, get some time away from the drug and in jail. There's a lot that we could do, but, but a lot of the things that, that sound sexy politically that I'm hearing from this administration, I don't think are, are actually going to affect um, the drug flow or the drug problem. But in rural parts of America and rural parts of Texas that are being annihilated, I mean, everybody knows a family member or friend to some extent. Everybody knows somebody who's hooked on opioids. We, we see that everywhere. And... Aren't big pharma, isn't big pharma and big pharmaceuticals at this point, aren't they the drug cartel that we don't want to go after in America? No, they represent 12 to, I don't know, 12 to 20 percent of the problem. Um, they, that is an issue. Uh, pain management, I mean, we could go down the line, but the bottom line is if people want to get high and want to feel differently and want to escape the reality they have. Or, um, but when we track political contributions from pharmaceutical industry, isn't that the equivalent of the State Department, Mexico, saying, whoa, whoa, don't go after the... Well, politicians saying, whoa, whoa, these guys give us a lot I, of you money. You know, I'm not going to sit here and, and compare Big Pharma, um, you know, to freaking narco cartels who, like, you know, kill and murder journalists. And I'm not going to do... But, you know, are there problems associated with Big Pharma and some of the narcotics? Yes, there are. Are there problems associated... Uh, are, are there larger problems in Mexico? Yes, they are. Are there larger problems in our communities? I, I'm, a, I'm a weird dude, like, and everyone knows it. Like, I, I have a tendency, like, when mothers contact me and say, hey, my daughter's on drugs and I can't get the police to do anything about the drug dealer... I usually find very creative solutions to, to pressure police to do something about the drug dealer. So there's a whole bunch of people who probably wouldn't be in prison or incarcerated if, if it weren't for my involvement, and I think most people know that, that I do that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very aggressive when it comes to people who, who deal narcotics or cocaine or methamphetamine, right? Um, I'm very aggressive, and if someone I love is doing drugs, like, I'm going to try to find out who their dealer is, I'm going to try to bust their balls, you know, that's what I do, and if more people had that attitude, I think that, that our society would be a lot better off, but more people don't, um, a lot of people have fear of, of, of messing with it or telling on somebody, but ultimately that's what it's going to take, it's going to, it's going to have to be attitudes in our society about drugs that change. We're going to have to eventually, I mean, it's, we can keep incarcerating. We've got, what, 2.3 million, 2.1 million people either incarcerated or on paper right now in this country. We can keep doing that. We can make it 20 million. You know, we can keep putting people in prison cells and then privatize them. People can make money off of it, and we can keep paying tax dollars for that. Or we can start looking at drugs in a different way, and we can go, hey, you know what? This person has an illness. Maybe we should uh, take it out of the, the criminal system and put it into a mental health uh, system, you know, look at it as a mental health issue more than a criminal issue, and then actually go after the major drug dealers and the narco traffickers. We know who they are. Like our State Department, um, you know, our, our Treasury Department has a kingpin list. People can Google this, and the kingpin list knows exactly who the big people are in Mexico, running the money and 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 managing the cartels and the narco profits. But all we ever do is go after the the drug lord, right? The guy running the dope. So every time we take out a cartel boss. 
a new cartel boss comes in, but the rest of that criminal circle, all the money launderers, we're not going after them. We're not doing anything about them as a country. And I know this for a fact because some of my sources find some of those people. And I'm like, hey, this person's on the Treasury Department's blacklist. They're, they're indicted in the U.S. My source says they know who they are. And usually law enforcement agencies aren't interested. Why? They're not interested because of diplomatic reasons, because those people have political connections. We just had a situation last week, I'm very proud of it, where, you know, the Merida Initiative would give Mexico $2.5 billion to fight the war on drugs. The Mexican military sends in the army to get a cartel boss in uh, Michoacan, Mexico. And um, we published photos, we got a hold of photos of that cartel boss and his machine gun, his full auto weapon hanging out with the Mexican army smoking cigarettes and chilling and we published those photos and embarrassed Mexico because it was the Mexican army working with the drug lord they were supposed to be going after buddying up with him they weren't going after him we published those photos Mexico got embarrassed Mexico had to arrest that cartel boss and uh, we took credit for that because we did that that's our work you know and that's a little uncomfortable because you're like hey aren't you afraid that the Nueva Familia Michoacan is going to do something like a little bit like <laughs> kind of wondering how they're going to react but I tell you what some dude in Lubbock Texas I, at that day that we did that I was wearing pajama pants no shirt and flip uh, uh, my um, slippers and I was you know we just got the biggest drug lord in Michoacan busted you know like people people can get involved and do something if you're creative about it and that's what it's going to ultimately take you know you're going to have to have that kind of attitude um, but in the meantime, we we can talk as much as we want. We can like penalize drug users, and um, we can go after the guy who sells the crack rock, um, and and keep leaving alone the big fish who are making the drugs and making the money. Um, but it's, we're going to keep getting the same results we have. I mean, we've been fighting this drug war for how many years now? Since the 70s. And I don't know about you, but it looks to me like um, you know, it looks to me like we started off with half a continent, and now we have about about a football field of land as far as what we've conquered and achieved yep. um, you know thankfully I, not knocking the law enforcement guys out there who, who are working on this issue I'm actually doing the exact opposite of knocking you I'm praising you and I'm, I'm saying that people in leadership of our government political appointees in foreign countries could do a lot more to go after uh, these drug lords who are ultimately responsible for what's occurring and ordinary everyday people could as well if everybody's willing to get a little uncomfortable we could we gotta we be could a little uncomfortable no, no. that's right well i want to leave you as we close out this edition of other side of texas we thank brandon darby follow him you listen to this podcast enjoy it at brandon darby on twitter uncomfortable march madness how many car commercials are there i mean there are millions of them just local and then national and local why just go off of a commercial when you could go after your favorite radio host, the guy he trusts, and that's Derek Beard, Shift Automotive Group in Lubbock. Derek's been in the car business for 20 years. He's worked the pavement and the lots. He's installed the accessories and financed the deals, and now he's got his own dealership, Shift Automotive Group in Lubbock. Derek and his team are friends and honest brokers, especially when the unexpected comes. They can help you shift into something that you can trust at Shift Automotive Group just outside Loop 289 on 58th Street. Real cars for real people at really great prices. 806-993-1094, shiftlubbock.com. With that, we close out this edition of 
other side of Texas. Big announcement next week for you right here on the program. Thank you. You like what you hear? Share it with your friends, Facebook, Twitter, otherwise. Love you. See you next time, other side of Texas. Sleep the morning away.